what do you want to? What do you want the intro song to be? Uh, Charlie, Anybody? do you have a, do you have oh, a song? Oh, I can choose any intro song? Yeah. yeah. You can choose two if you want. You can oh. We do an intro and outro song. We could do one in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's make it Bad Bad Leroy Brown. Charlie Walden, who is a comedian, improviser, animator, and all-around NYC historian fun guy. Yes. He works at a Revolutionary War museum. That's right, and I don't speak for the museum, so don't claim that I do, because yeah. I, I have some pretty different opinions to some of my employers. Uh, but they love it that way, and so do I. I've been a, a, a tour guide for the last three years. This is my, I'm coming up on my third holiday season in New York City. I was fired from Big Bus on Christmas Day last year. In the middle of a union. Merry dispute. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were the were you a, were you involved in the union? I, yeah, I was on the organizing committee, uh, which just meant I didn't much less than most of the real heroes did. But I, I they scheduled a bunch of people to work on Christmas Day, and everybody who didn't want to, they said you can work or you can be fired. And I was just like, I was is that legal? No, uh, not really. But you know, they it's their. Ju- I had a bunch of people over to get on the bus for my birthday, and they charged me full price. Uh, for all my friends, that's you know, just the, that's part of. I remember I was so pissed I I couldn't. Sam Jacobs went. And I I couldn't go. Oh yeah, day. no, it was I Sam was Jacobs a... and my roommate Colby. That was it. It was like a cold, rainy, horrible day. Nobody I wanted know. to. Nobody wanted to come to Forty Second Street at eight o'clock in the morning. Oh well. Um, but uh, yeah, we uh, I I enjoy myself. I love talking to the public. Uh, and uh, I know I know all about this fair city of ours. I got a history degree from New York University. It... Um. And, uh, yeah, I, mean, I know you guys know an awful lot about this stuff yourselves. No, Brian does. Yeah, I, Brian I'm does. a transplant. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're the straight well, man. Lenny, yeah. Lenny is more knowledgeable on Chicago. Very oh, nice. I know some stuff about Chicago history. Like, for example, Disco Demolition Night. <laughs> hey, yeah. Which you, uh, wrote a, you wrote a show about Disco Demolition yes, Night. Yes, I did. I wrote and I directed and I started a show about Disco Demolition Night at the now historic Annoyance Theater New York. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> Uh, too, also Comiskey Park, RIP. Too good for this world. Yeah, both of them. What's uh, it called now? It's called like. Well, now it's called uh, Indentured Servitude Field or something. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's got the it's guaranteed rate field, and the symbol of it is a downward pointing arrow. Oh my god! <laughs> guaranteed rate. Guaranteed oh. rate. Oi. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, that was a blast. Brian saw that a couple times. We did that in New York. We did that in Philadelphia. We did that in Chicago, Illinois, which was a uh, that was all I ever wanted was to do that in that city on that week, which was so cool. Um, did they so lap I, it up or they, were they hometown proud of it? They did. I mean, I got like 55 first cousins that live in Chicago. And uh, like, I mean, it was, and my, my parents grew up listening to Steve Dahl. And, uh, you know, they were uh, 19 years old in 1979. So they, uh, they, I mean, it was mostly for them. They, they, they liked it a lot. And their friends who I like named characters after. Uh, but yeah, were, it was a heck of a, heck of a time. Were, were any of them actually at the game? Oh, uh, no. Um, I don't think I've. Ever, I still haven't haven't talked to anybody who actually was there. I was like kind of weirdly like flirting with Steve Dahl on Twitter for a little bit. Oh and really? Then I, I asked him to come. I'm glad he didn't because then it would have been about him and not about me. And the whole point was that it was about me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's been he's been eating lunch on that for a long time too. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he, yeah. He used to be. I think he used to pull stunts like that pretty often. He him did. And Bill Vec is kind of a match made in heaven. Both yeah. stuntsters. And in some ways, yeah, Bill Vec was the owner of the White Sox at the time, who was uh, known as the Barnum of Baseball, and he, he invented the exploding scoreboard. And uh, you know, he put a four foot seven dwarf up to bat for the St. Louis Browns in 1951. His number was half. Or one eighth. That was one in nineteen fifty one. They did that. Yeah, nineteen fifty one. I thought that was like nineteen twelve. I didn't realize no. that was. Yeah. yeah, and Bill Vec had that was only like that was like six years after he lost his leg below the knee in the South Pacific. Oh my uh, god! To exploding artillery. So he's just like he he was he owned the Milwaukee. I don't know if it was the Brewers, but it was some Milwaukee. The, the club. Braves, right? Yeah, the Braves. Uh, while he was overseas, and like his dad was like a journalist who had just written shitty things about the the Chicago Cubs. And then the owners at the time said, you think you're so great, you take the team. And he did. And so, uh, like, Vilvec, like, grew up, like, in uh, 
Wrigley Field, basically. Like he claims to have planted the the, the ivy itself. Uh, so he's just like baseball walking, and then he's like featured heavily in the Ken Burns documentary. So the play was just basically like that turning into a bad acid trip, which is what Steve Dahl is. I'm only on. That's awesome. I'm only on the third inning of the Ken Burns documentary, so <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm only you didn't get to the Bill Zach era. There's a lot of it. Yep. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a twenty. It's like yeah, that's that's always the funny joke where you're like trying to explain baseball to a non-baseball fan. And you're like, oh, I know what'll get you this 24-hour documentary. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, just clear out like a whole two weeks and just spend your time only watching this like one to two hour parts of this documentary about baseball. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, Ken, Ken, most of what Ken Burns is like. Did is just made for people who are on house arrest. Uh, all right, well let's uh, that, let's um, let's move on to. So we have since we have Charlie here, we want to uh, make sure that we are taking advantage of his extreme expertise in New York City. And I thought the arc since since we have an election coming up across mm. the nation, but in particular mm. in New York, we are having mayoral election. We also are I think borough a couple of borough presidents are on the line. Uh, public advocate. Yeah, and uh, city council is always the big one that happens every two years. Oh uh, yeah, uh, and so. The, and we're kind of starting to see anti-gentrification candidates, which is huge uh, because it would just it was just kind of happening unfettered for such a long time. Is there a party affiliation like an anti like like working families party, but anti-gentrification? Yeah, party I mean, uh, definitely like working families party is like the biggest like organization that like actively kind of just tries to make people's lives materially easier. And oftentimes in New York, like more often than not, that means kind of just like cushioning or protecting them from the ravages of the capital. Just yeah, just give the them a soft bed. <laughs> Lay, yeah, lay down the bed. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And, but I mean, and then they, they uh, definitely do a lot of cool work. And I don't know a ton about that, like, organization or apparatus, but there are uh, the guy who's running in Prospect Heights, Jabari Brisport, is running on a green line and a socialist party line, which is huge because that hasn't happened in New York since before World War II. New York's got a very long, cool history of that stuff that's kind of been. Uh, shoved under the concrete in some yeah, ways. Yeah, I mean, the the, tw- the 20s and 30, 30s in particular were huge, like, worker-organized and socialism yeah. so- mo- movements in New York and, City. Yeah, yeah, and really, I mean, and until, like, uh, you know, the the 90s, I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, it was, like, until, like, the 70s or 80s, but until, like, we yeah. kind of, like, the, like, Wall Street and Reagan, New York was kind of, like, generally seen as this, weird uh kind of almost un-american place in the middle of the ocean that's just kind of like off to the side <laughs> full of know, ethnics the, yeah yeah too many yeah. ethnics and they, they they bring their uh their their ethnic stuff and especially like a lot of like the war refugees and stuff they kept uh like really strong um you know like workers groups and things because they had to like right. they, if, if you didn't have those clubs whether you were you know a german immigrant in 1904 or an irish immigrant in 1840 or like a Jewish immigrant in 1910, all of them had to have their mutual aid societies because they didn't have those, you know, there was nothing. Right. So like Tammany Hall started like that. Uh, the, uh, you know, the Sons of Liberty even had stuff like that too. Like the very first union, which was called like the the mechanics, uh, uh, they eventually just started calling themselves the mechanics, but it was the Mechanics and Tradesmen's Guild. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. And so they were super lefty, like at the be- very beginning of the country, but there was like so much rising opportunity that it was hard to sort of stay anti-capitalist. You know, a fifty years before Marx, and b like while there was all these amazing get-rich-quick schemes. Right. Yeah. So I mean, in, in that sense, the American Revolution wasn't a really a real revolution because the revolutionaries were not these like sort of landless. No, uh, it was people. the landowning class. It's like uh, and they, yeah, they yeah. were they were oligarchs. I don't think. Mm. Uh, I mean, there are definitely a lot of people don't like that word, but uh, I don't think it's inaccurate at all to refer to the founding fathers as oligarchs like they were into their really, own they were, really. pla- they were planters they were aristocrats that's yeah. different than oligarch right yeah, like they, didn't, or, or, they didn't earn like uh, to be an exclusive college uh, uh-huh. so much as they were right I mean like they were yeah. they were representing the landowning white class but yeah I mean well, it, it was specific guys who had were super privileged for their own specific reasons uh, and then they sort of went in and signed the declaration and everything uh, because that seemed like the only way you know, like if you look at like the sort of the we we learn all the time about the tyranny of King George, right? Uh, but if you look at what the tyranny of King George did to Canada, it wasn't that much materially worse for Canadians, and to this day it isn't. Right. Uh, so the tyranny of King George didn't fuck up Canada that much. Yeah. Uh, but they just they they didn't happen to have, and it was like mostly kind of a an ideological thing and like a rock and roll thing, like a lot of politics is. Like you know, it's a. It, participating in something big where people are emotional is like cool and fun. Uh, but this war was such like a, that was such a weird roll of the dice and it ended up working out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, New York has such a cool, cool old history of that. And then it kind of, after nine 11, we kind of like 
accepted the uh, the bear hug from the rest of the country, and they just never really let go. And they're and they're like, uh, we also want to give you all of our Walgreens and Dunkin' Donuts. And, yeah, and, 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 and you gave Chicago the uh, Macy's. We didn't want that shit. It took <laughs> like, over Marshall Fields. And nine eleven people in the Midwest were like upset, not about like nine eleven, but they like th- we became on their radar. And then they're like, wait a second, they don't have Panera Bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then and, and I remember I was in we fourth. Have to save them. I was in fourth grade in Minnesota when I was watching the towers fall. My first thought was there should be a 9-11 themed five-story Chick-fil-A right next to where those towers used to stand. And sure enough, now there is. <laughs> of course. Wasn't that Chick-fil-A? Better the than an Chick- Islamic center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which Ed Koch protested, by the way. He uh, did? Nice. Why? I was there. I was working at Sea Hall, and I, this is where I was part of the uh, part of the problem. So I was working for the Bloomberg administration. Nice. I was an innocent kid at, fresh out of college. I didn't know anything better. Um, but uh, they... Ed Koch protested. I was there the day that like all the protests, the 9-11, that I was working the 9-11 event the day that happened. It was nuts. It was just like, it was just pandemonium. And you're just like watching all these people like lose their minds about the Islamic Center, which was just like essentially the equivalent of a YMCA. People forget that the YMCA is the Young Man's Christian Association. Yeah. Like, and it was just like, it was a per- explicitly like public, like for, for public benefit, the center. It wasn't like we're building a mosque that it pre- preaches Wahhabism. Like it, yeah. It, it, it was like a public sp- space. Like, yeah. I mean, especially if you look at like the, uh, the, the state of the financial district now that it's like the, the only, uh, Muslim people who are down there are super rich, uh, oh, yeah. international class people. Yeah. And then I'm sure there's like a couple families in like the Alfred E. Smith houses and they already have a place that they go to to worship. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just and, and the fact that people don't like, Bloomberg's main uh, legacy should be that he abolished term limits. Yeah. I mean, his legacy is enormous. His legacy is turning Manhattan into the fucking Old Orchard Mall yeah. where they filmed Mean Girls in Illinois. Yeah. Uh, but the, they, it's he just Giuliani went to abolish term limits in 2001, and the people said, like, no, no, don't do that. And then B- Bloomberg succeeded. And de Blasio ran as like the great progressive hope, and he had a great he had great messaging, and he still you know he has a very very difficult job, but he doesn't uh, I think. He just does not seem up to the job of putting the demons back in Pandora's box that Bloomberg opened up. Well, I think that's because, and I think Bloomberg could do it. The reason why Giuliani couldn't do it, and the reason why uh-huh. de Blasio, and this is my theory, is that because Bloomberg is is one of the top five richest people on the planet, or top ten richest people on the planet. So to be an effective mayor, whether it's for good, for better or worse, it's like you kind of either need an extreme cult of personality or an extremely vast amount of personal wealth. Yeah. Uh, like, those are, which de Blasio certainly doesn't have. Yeah. And well, also, and, and, and uh, Bloomberg was just kind of doing it as like a hobby, like as a lark. Right. He's like, let me let me see if I can just like uh, create a playground for all my like my rich friends in New York, London, and uh, Dubai. And I remember uh, they said that. First of all, I, I have to say that I was I, I got bust one time to a uh, if you wanted to talk about the disparity between how much he had and his opponents had in college. Uh, there was a kid uh, named Pete Wallace, um, th- who's I name drop name drop. Yeah, <laughs> he lives in Australia now. Hey yeah, Pete, wow. hey Pete, what's up? Ooh. Um, if we get a hit from Australia, we'll know if Pete's That's listening. him, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, his uh, Google alert for his own name went off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, for some reason, there was there was organized uh, passive tents. Like, I don't know who did it, but uh, a bus that was just going to take a bunch of us, it was sold to us as, hey, you guys want to have a bunch of free food and beer? And it was like, uh, yes. <laughs> and it just picked us up from the Bronx and brought us to the Javits Center. And on the way, I think we found out it was a Bloomberg rally. And he had literally just paid for the entire thing to be rented out, free like popcorn vendors, uh, everything. I, it was sponsored by Brooklyn Brewery, and he gave a speech. And the entire the entire exercise, however many hundreds of thousands of dollars it cost, was just to film a campaign spot that looked like he was speaking in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's Padma pretty... Lakshmi was the opener. Like it was such a oh, production. Oh my god, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, and, and just and the the fact that New York has that like the media class too that controls like the 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 means of broadcasting. Yeah, it's just that that like just digs the heels in there with like all of like the the biggest dullards who work at the New York Times and Fox News and CNN and and uh, every one of those institutions. They all work in Midtown and they all like have friends at the same fancy restaurants. And then just and that like adds right that the the that like shit sandwich is just magnified by the whole like Instagram friendly foods and <laughs> like the, the the way that uh, formerly poor neighborhoods are just converted in like an almost mechanized and totally predictable way right. by these real estate 
firms that are actually staffed by people who are just trying to fucking survive capitalism because their own realty prices are so high. Right. But some of them are on TV, like the million dollar property shows, and they are trying to. It is a lot of people's full time fucking job to try to convince different like populations of bourgeois people in different countries. Like now is the time for rich people in uh, Latvia to move to, uh, you know, Williamsburg. Yeah. And then you'll get one rich person in Latvia and then the rest of the oligarchs in Latvia are going to move to Williamsburg and that's their job. Um, you are, you just pointed out one of my favorite uh, things that I'd love to, to dunk on on this show, which is HGT, HGTV's uh, sales, sales, lifestyle sales, oh, yeah. where they're just selling a lifestyle to people nonstop, where they're just like, you could be in this, like, look at you, like, they're just, oh, I keep clicking this pen. Um, like, you could live in this multi-million dollar apartment, or you could live in this beautiful, like, cool suburb that's, like, close to downtown, and all this stuff. I'm like, why do people watch this stuff? Like, I don't understand how you can watch yeah, like, it, it's, it's escapism because they can't afford it. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. and it's just like, you're, everyone is so fucking depressed at the end of the day that you just want to conk out. Like, yeah. you guys have days like that where you no, get home and you're sure. like, I need to watch reality TV. It can't, it can't be, I can't have a plot. It's just like, I want to see images and, like, think about a nicer place to go than this one. It also might be that uh, the same way that, you know, green, the color green is very naturally pleasing to the human eye because it represents abundance, you know. I think that to the American consumer eye, the idea of appreciating real estate is so intrinsically uh, satisfying to see because it's been such a wealth creator throughout the cent, you know, for the last like 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for white people who could afford until to, to get more, well, yeah, who yeah. didn't until yeah, until yeah until recently, and I think it probably still continues to be in some cases, but it's so predictably like it. It just represents you know homeownership and this tangible thing, and and it's not really that anymore. So it's this house flipping fantasy is a good escape to go to when you have no real route to that wealth creation anymore yourself. Yeah, absolutely, and mm-hmm. like that. That's what you know the 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 Celebrity Apprentice was like that too, and and yeah, upward and, mobility. Yeah, that that just like I'm I'm special and and just just the and also like any good TV show is just like a nice place to go, whether it's like Cheers or Scrubs or whatever. Yeah, um, I remember reading a uh, I read a book about Brooklyn gentrification uh, called The Edge Becomes the Center. Oh, I want to read that book. Maybe. It's okay. It's not great. Okay. It, it's it doesn't do enough unpacking it's just a bunch of it's like a studs turkle type thing he just interviews people and they're not really that good of a cross-section but one um developer said something really interesting related to that you just made me think of which was that because you said the guy from latvia is getting word you know come to brooklyn the streets are made of kale exactly yeah (laughs) and uh someone said that in, in the brooklyn market is so forget saturated it is so competitive to get in anywhere that these um uh, people who uh, basically deal in brownstones, they can tell uh, w- as an economic indicator where there's going to be economic turmoil around the world based on what country capital is flooding in from. Jesus. So, for example, the Greek debt crisis was preceded by all of the elites in Greece buying up Brooklyn property you know, months beforehand, and that is a pattern that's repeated for other parts of the world, too. That's how predictably appreciating the Brooklyn real estate market is. Yeah. And it's it's so crazy that it's like even in the market at all, you know, like like it's you. I don't think it's that insane to just like decommodify certain uh, areas of the city and be like, okay, these parts are just not in the market. Because uh, like e- even in like 1790, when they're thinking about building like a Washington D.C. federal district in New York, the real estate was too expensive. Right. So on on, on some level, that kind of makes you think like, oh, that it's always been this way. But it's just that yeah that. What you just said is so like hyper ridiculous uh, that just it's it's a it's a sure shot, and when it, that stops being a sure shot, just the money comes in from elsewhere, and just the people who live in New York are never even part of the equation. Well, that's the thing, and like you know, we had uh, Charlie had recommended to to me, and actually one other my friend Lance, who runs a tourism company as well, pretty good tours NYC, check them out. Um, they they're pretty good walking tours. Uh, he'll tell you all about the city, mostly Lower East Side, um, but. The, what the book that was recommended was Vanishing New York, How a Great City Lost Its Soul by Jeremiah Moss. And it was adapted from a blog uh, he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great book because there's also what it's so painful for me to read because it was like growing up as like, you know, I was born in the mid to late 80s and grew up, up in the suburb of New York in the 90s and always having like periphery experiences and, and like coming into the city as a kid and being like, this is the place. Even in the early 90s, which he admits even is like when the transition was like really going fully into effect. You're like, for people like me who hated suburban life and was like, 
this this place is so cool. There's like people doing like there's people playing music on the street. There's like comedy going on. I remember I used to be able to when I was in high school. The, the people don't remember this about the comedy cellar, but the comedy cellar was not what like this Louis C.K. thing that it is today. Like I could just go, I could be a seventeen year old kid and be like, can I just like stand in the back? And they'd be like, that's fine. Like, yeah. like you know, it wasn't like sell out. They were just like, yeah, you could, like they did not care. Like they and they weren't like selling out and lines around the corner and down McDougal Street. You know, it, it was so. It's like we've the. As the capital floods into New York, and this is happening certainly in London, Berlin right now is uh, free, you know, like free for all, I think too, where it's like, yeah, okay, all this capital floods in, and people either really wealthy people or people are just parking capital, meaning that's just like Saudi princes that are just parking capital in the giant like matchstick towers that are near Central Park, and it's like, but you're they're also making it just like well the cool part about the city was just like they were the culture and music and like art and stuff and the things that people were producing here and now it's just like not happening now it's just like a playground for people that want to go to a bunch of different bars yeah like, and, and, and institutions yeah. have to uh justify themselves with profit right uh or uh justify themselves with like some corporate coffer yeah like you know like those the the bank chains are not uh you know bringing in as much money as they're sending out, but because they are bank chains, they just have these like billions and sometimes trillions that just go towards paying these giant rents that couldn't, can no longer be dive bars because we've just kind of decided without really ever deciding that things need to be profitable to justify their own existence. Right. Um, when, uh, I just like to share another anecdote when, cause that's all I got. Cause I don't know anything about New York history. Uh, when de Blasio got elected for the first time, I was talking to my dad, who's like a typical conservative dad. And uh, he was saying, uh, you know, because de Blasio at the time was promising to be one of the most progressive, you know, uh, politicians in any municipality. And he said, I heard he's going to jack up the price, like taxes on rich people. And I was at at that moment walking through Midtown and I just happened to look to my side and I saw a... It was a dry bar for dogs where people could bring their dogs and have them get dry cleaned, like blowouts, while they drink champagne for like $200. And I was like... They're gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be totally fine. And like, and like the 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 uh, the tax cuts are still in place, and like yeah. that no taxes for luxury developers is still in place to incentivize people to like drop these gentrification bombs. And so it's like even in the 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 neighborhoods that are poor now and are like in the gentrifying process are in such dangerous places. And Prospect Heights is one of those. Yeah, and well, what I don't understand about so this is where I think this whole house of cards is going to cra- come crashing down soon because I've been because I work in Sunset Park or Sunset Park Bay Ridge border, and there is a luxury tower going up there and i'm like who would pay like who in the luxury market would pay for like and it's what looks like the carbon copy of all the ones you see where it's these like kind of like glass just like characterless building which is what makes that better than the suburbs nothing yeah exactly so i'm like why would like so and they're just gonna be on 64th street in like sunset park where it's like okay you're gonna go to like the crate like go to Feilong market and get like dumpling (laughs) yeah it's like i love Feilong market but it's like these people who want a luxury apartment don't want to deal with just like like chinese immigrants and like weird like fish smells yeah no they want they want the hipster summer camp they saw on girls yeah i think that exactly it's this, it's this new sex in the city. It, the, the Brooklyn brand has been very successfully marketed. I did uh, real estate for five of the worst weeks of my life in 2014. And, uh, <laughs> and it was in, it was renting out um, like Hasidic owned and developed uh, developments in Bed-Stuy mostly. Uh, Prime Bed-Stuy. That was our phrase, which is <laughs> oh, nice. fucking joke. Prime Bed-Stuy. Uh, that shitty the, Bed-Stuy. Yeah, this is exactly where the riot and do the right thing happened. <laughs> well, actually, and, well, and actually, the, 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 the joke of that, too, is that there's a lot of areas of Bed-Stuy that are really fucking nice, that yeah. absolutely deserve to stay the way that they are, which is essentially like a black heaven, you know? It's yeah. like completely like functional neighborhoods it's it's none of it's none of the anything that you'd use to you know you'd use to veil like uh the blight argument you know like it was it was exactly what you'd want to preserve and yet you could not stop this very very top-down uh march of capital in and and the reason i bring it up is because um at some point you get to like when you're developing in midwood and you're developing in like far like around the broadway junction area of uh, you know it's like this is no longer the brooklyn that that is has any relation to people from the Lower East Side went across the Williamsburg Bridge and started making Williamsburg an artist haven because there's a lot of empty cheap you know right. lofts. It it's it, it has totally become 
uh, a because I think it's part of a larger urbanizing trend, and and New York City because it has the media class that can promote it uh, like that. It it has totally become its own self sufficient um, push of uh, of, of up market movement. Um, I, I would like to just put one question out though. So I think that we're like thinking about gentrification and the perils of gentrification is like a really interesting topic to me. One of the, and I try, I think that in order to be honest about it, I have to also admit that I am a gentrifier and I also have to admit that I probably wouldn't be able to live here if it were the way that it was before. And so one of my telltale signs of that someone's like, okay, this person is probably full of shit is if they start to sort of glamorize this like Bernie Getz era, like back when the subway had character and stuff. And I can understand if you're like Lou Reed or something, or you want to go back to like, you know, when it was gritty or whatever, maybe you had like positive memories when it was more affordable and artsy and free. But do, do you guys at all uh, find yourself ever like questioning the, the glorification of like the old dirty, you know, crime ridden subway and stuff like that? Is it good that we got rid of that? I mean, the, uh, there are so many, like, infinite versions of New York that exist right on top of each other. Right. And that in some ways, that is, like, almost Make America Great Again shit, where it's like you're talking about... A, if you you were born in 1991, you're talking about a past that never existed. So you can, like, appreciate it on a, on a, on a historical level. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and, you know, morning in New York is a full-time job if you want it to be. Uh, like you can spend all day every day getting pissed off about the stuff that used to be there that isn't anymore and uh, that there you know you can point to in all of New York's history like there are uh, the there were Dutch beggars in 1660 who were you know who yeah. had been patroons back in the glory days of New Amsterdam yeah um, and so the it's definitely like you know you when, when people are just, like, talking about it on an artistic sense and almost, like, a hedonistic, like, pleasure-first sense, that blows because they're not actually trying to preserve anything. But I think what needs to be instilled and drilled in the brain of every, like, uh, you know, uh, Native American headdress-wearing uh, fucking um, the, the, these, these, these Burning Man people who are, like, now at the Jefferson stop about and, like quickly getting eastward yeah. is that you're <laughs> not a cons- that you can measure it Je- advancing what, what's the next one then, then yeah it's like, at DeKalb well, DeKalb's where DeKalb, I live and which then, is a wonderful uh, Ecuadorian neighborhood that I'm kind of the problem at but yeah. you know the, the I like do my part by wearing a mustache and lots of uh, short sleeve button up shirts <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but but the uh, and so you it's have literally carrying a white flag <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but I mean it is and, and this needs to be on a bigger level too of just that you are a citizen not a consumer yeah a citizen has responsibilities and a consumer does not i i agree yeah and 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 that uh that the what i for the longest time i remember thinking like oh the the word hipster is a little bit uh troublesome because it doesn't really mean anything it's almost like saying terrorist and that it's just like a vague sort of faceless villain then jeremiah moss really put the pin in it for me and he said that the hipster is a rebel consumer uh who sort of like cosplays the role of this iconoclastic artist while primarily identifying themselves through the things that they buy. That's right. great. Yeah, and I, I agree, and that, that is the issue. But I think that is also what's going to determine New York's future is that those people who are the rebel consumers, there's a short shelf life on being that. And so you're, you're certainly people can live their lifestyles in the kind of hedonistic way in perpetuity. But I think they're, they'll just get sick of it because it's like, oh, they wanted to move from their they, – they were you know an upper middle class kid from Columbus, Ohio. It was like, I'm, I'm different. I want to move to New York. And then they're either going to find a job and either become part of the community and actually live here or do the thing that they – like half of them do. You know, like the, there's you know, a lot of them end up in Hoboken or whatever because yeah. like Hoboken is just essentially like this incubator for like northern New Jersey suburbs where there's like, all right – Basically, like I also love Hoboken because Hoboken on a Saturday in the fall is the best place to look out for uh, college college age couple fights. Oh yeah, man! Uh, it's pretty like just watch some girl in like a pen guys who say jersey. sandwich instead of sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> like, apps not advertising. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, but, but the, so yeah, there's I mean the and even people who like have moved here and live here and like have jobs and like contribute, especially like media class people. Can I say now that it's uh, it, it is October thirtieth, it should be against the law to go to a white person hosted Halloween party in Harlem. <laughs> I saw the, I'm not going to say who it is and I don't even think it'll ever get back to it, but I remember seeing something, some TV writer yesterday posted like, oh man, some lady yelled at me and my wife because we were uh, 
dressed up in costume going to a Halloween party in Harlem. This sucks. And I was like, of course she was yelling at you. She should have been yelling at you. You shouldn't have accepted that fucking invitation. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or just go in your street clothes and change into your fucking Star Trek outfit once you get there. It just there There is the distance that like rich people who like identify as like good uh, left voting, uh, good Democrats, they don't do enough. New York is still ruled by them and they are still like part of the class that like primarily just wants to get their bosses rich and they get pretty rich themselves and they like don't get it and they feel personally offended when they see a poor person of color yelling at them and yeah. they, they, they are, are so sort of like almost like childlike and wounded that they can't consider the fact that this person has a lot more to be mad about than they do. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a community. Like, people often think of New York. I mean, uh, so uh, I'll get back to your question, Lenny, about like I think, you know, New York for me is just this nostalgic open wound that the Jeremiah Moss's book like plays up really well. But yeah, I mean like on the theme of the rebel consumer or the, the white person getting pissed off by getting yelled at for wearing a costume in Harlem. I look, I lived on, I lived on 125th street in Broadway for three years. Um, I never had an issue as ever, but I was also part of the neighborhood. Like I was also like, I mean, I would go to the local establishment and, like, and I would like go to bars and I would be like, I kind of knew some of the neighbors. I knew people around, um, but it wasn't like, when I was there, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I wish they had just set up like a, a Brother Jimmy's or something yeah. like that, you know? Like, but like even yeah. with by even if you're not saying that explicitly, yeah. the people who actually have their f- fingers on the levers right. are thinking that about you. Yeah. And because of like just the horrifying state of like capital and real estate that just like they if they can make a dollar off of something, they will. Yeah. Uh, John Muir, the uh, conservationist, when he was trying to preserve the Hetch Hetchy Valley, which got dammed up, that was like Yosemite's sister valley, that they put a dam there and that became like the reservoir for uh, San Francisco. Yeah. While he was checking that, he said nothing dollarable is safe. <laughs> and that applies to real estate, that applies to national parks, that applies to your own thoughts and fears that if somebody can make a dollar off it, they will. And I hope, think as people slowly realize this, they will realize that you know if you can use uh, eminent domain to destroy uh, you know, a bunch of poor people's beautiful brownstones to make way for the Barclays Center, of course you can use eminent domain to retake uh, some luxury housing and turn it into housing for poor people. Yeah. Whenever, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, whenever I'm walking around in the financial district, which used to just be called New York by the fucking yeah. <laughs> the area south of Wall Street, yeah. um, that I, I like look at all those horrible like glass stacks and just think eventually, one day... These will be filled with families and music, and it might take war or disease before we get there. But it is an inevitability, unless human life just blows out like a candle, that eventually there will be people in those places turning them into their homes. But before then, we have to stop having this city hall that exists primarily to protect and, uh, and uh, multiply wealth. Like all, all the get rich quick schemes are over and they're just stay rich permanently schemes. Well, the, I think that's the issue. I think the issue now, why, why I'd like to get into the topic of what I was talking about, New York asserting its own or finding a way. It's good. It would be pretty tough for New, the New York City metro area to find a way to assert its own autonomy mm-hmm. um, because I think that's in the future what needs to happen. Because the, the reason why de Blasio can't do a lot too is because he doesn't really have the power. Like he doesn't have either money or or political capital, or even actual legitimate political, enough political power to do stuff. Like, he can't, he couldn't, he said he was going to raise taxes on the rich. He can't do that. Like, he doesn't, he has to get yeah, that through the state legislature and state, state assembly and Cuomo, <laughs> and, like, so, the, the, he has no power to levy those taxes. Nor, nor does he have, he got, he got, wrote in, yes, yeah, certainly on an, uh, on a, under the banner of progressivism and, uh, you know, a new city, a, a tale of two, we live in a tale of two cities, but, you know, it will be a tale of two cities no longer. Uh, but you know, a lot of that, that campaign money that was broadcasting that was by de- developers who were looking to get cheap deals or get in on the city hall. Like what city hall does have power in, which is just like zoning laws and z- zoning stuff. Yeah, like so, that's yeah, and it's completely just to enrich individuals, right? Yeah, and not and not benefit the citizens. I mean, granted, maybe you could give De Blasio credit on uh, rolling back um, a lot of the stop and frisk uh, or like the, the police tactics that were were harassing. Yeah, generally people from minority communities. So, uh, as a as someone who's very much like a, um, no, he's fine. Um, the 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 main complaint against De Blasio, take me through it, because so he gave he basically ran uh, having giving voice to these realities that a lot of people wanted to fix. 
he hasn't done it that much about it. It seems like what he's done with affordable housing has been mostly um, kind of this Potemkin solution. It was like the only way he could, I think the, it was, yeah, the only way he could really figure it out and still keep the developer people happy. Yeah, I mean, it's like an Obamacare-style market-friendly right. solution, and I think the American people are done with that shit. Yeah. And, you know, there is a part of me that it's like, it does, there's a part of the plan that I agree with where it's just like, look, if we're going to sustain this, there does need to be absolutely an increase in housing stock and like people need to develop it. But it's like, uh, the, the solution was like, well, okay, well then a portion of these will have affordable housing units, but the portions are so small. And the affordable housing units are like, they, they make it for the higher end of affordable housing. So it's only families that make like 90 grand a year or more. Right. And well, that's the thing is that, but it also, it screws over the middle class too, because if you're, let's say you're somebody that's in, yeah, like even in that's, let's say you're a combined income of, you know, let's say $150,000, which is between you and another person. It's not that much in New York city. And then like, and you had two kids, you wouldn't even come close to qualify. You wouldn't like you. So even people that are like making like, I mean, it's all relative, but like the really poor are getting screwed the middle, like the working poor are screwed and the middle class or people that would be ascending into a middle class lifestyle are also put out. So it's like, I don't know who's going to like, fill these units and and also it's like they had all these problems with like they had the poor door there's the there's the building that they were like okay all, all the poor is going the side door <laughs> and uh but they, it sounds like what you're saying then charlie is that uh you want like a you're pro- kind of proposing like an anti or reverse redlining thing where it's like there's certain neighborhoods that are going to be prohibited from development is that what yeah you're or, or just that i mean like i was i did a lot of uh knocking on doors for Kader al team who was a uh who was a pre- socialist priest who was running for city council in bay ridge and he lost the democratic primary against just some fucking slug who had de blasio's uh, yeah. uh approval um just like this bloodless dude who worked for bear stearns Literally, he and his wife got married in the lobby of Bears and Irons, and now he's probably going to be the uh, the uh, councilman for, uh, uh, for uh, District Ridge. 43 yeah. in Bay Ridge and Diker Heights. Yeah. And uh, he sucks just really bad. I hope he hears this. Justin Brandon, suck my cock. <laughs> um, uh, just a giant baby. And he uh, the just he was basically a bag man, like a lot of like Wall Street uh, kind of um, po- politic-associated guys are. Uh, Phil Murphy in New Jersey, who might be governor pretty soon. Oh yeah, and and the, just that they, I mean, they a they have the the resources, and they have like the friends who people like De Blasio like want because they need you know infinite money to keep their PR machine running while right. they continue to you know do not enough for the people in New York City. And I guess you know De Blasio's not in a position where he can like definitely win that much, but you know the. Fiorella LaGuardia was a socialist Republican. Yeah. The, we, that's not impossible in New York. People kind of pretend that, like, oh, capital controls it all. If, if, the, if, if as the mayor, if you, you know, decide to turn against rich people, you will have more support than you would if you continue to, uh, you know, support them. And New York City is a unique place because you can run a fusion ticket and win. Like, so, like, yeah. like, like LaGuardia did. Mm-hmm. And like, so, like, and New York City Democrats and Republicans are not Kansas Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. You know, like that. So, it's a whole different ballgame. So, the, the binary of Democrat and Republican in New York is kind of weird. And, and, and so, you don't have to think about it that way, which is why, again, I think that's like, look, the only, the, New York City needs to figure out a way to like assert, like become essentially like a Singapore or a Hong Kong, Hong Kong pre reassimilation too, and even look that's not even go, that going that well for them in Hong Kong. There's a lot of like they're pretty pissed off about the way it, democracy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, and uh, also what Hong Kong did, as far as I know, is and I think Singapore too, was, but Hong Kong was just open free market. Like it's a, like a paid yeah. to apply to open it. Well, I guess it, yeah, um, you couldn't have that. Yeah, you couldn't have that here. But like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why New York City. We also the second we tried to like secede from <laughs> secede from the rest of the country, they'd be like, uh, "You got we're turning your water off. So uh, good luck. Dream- all your water and food are gone, New York City. So yeah, uh, so it's like we're, we're kind of stuck, which is unfortunate. But, but at, <laughs> at least just it's it's so unfortunate that. Uh, I mean, a, you look at even just New York City, like Staten Island should not be part of the city. If you just look at a map, yeah. it look it's it's it, it's part of the same well, mass try- as New Jersey. Yeah, but they they, and try- they vote every couple of years, right? But but they 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 did in the early nineties, and uh-huh. but New York State, I don't know if it was this ultimately. So they voted and it passed. To, they wanted to become part of New Jersey, uh-huh. um, but they New York State didn't allow it. And I think at the time was because they're like we would lose the tax base of just like 
uh, and we'd also we'd also we'd lose a lot of cops and firefighters, and then we, we would also lose I think a significant tax base. I don't know enough about that. Yeah, I do, the, I, yeah, we'd lose a lot of white cops and white firefighters. That's and but we'd also also lose a lot of opioid addicts. So, oh, yeah, wow. So, so, so there's people. that. Yeah. Um, uh, pizza men. Yeah, I mean, we lose a lot of uh, Maimonides. A lot of our staff are from because it was like so when you work in like working in North Brooklyn and working in South Brooklyn or like. People in South Brooklyn are like, oh yeah, like half my coworkers drive to work from Staten Island, so uh-huh. it's kind of it's kind of an interesting. There's a different dynamic in and like you have Bay Ridge, which is represented both like the uh, congressionally on or a portion of Bay Ridge uh, is represented by what's his name? It was represented by Grimm, but the guy who <laughs> the guy who, the <laughs> guy it, who threatened was... to throw the New York One reporter off. <laughs> oh, yeah. I met guy, him. Vito something. He was. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, is Bo Deedle from Staten Island? Do you know that? Oh, he's got to be. He's I love Bo Deedle calls Bill Bill De Blasio Big Bird because he's seven inches taller than him. Yeah. <laughs> so he always posts pictures of him like, "Yeah, I'm eating a veal and pepper sandwich." Yeah, that's what Italians eat, Big Bird. <laughs> Bill, well, he's he's right about that. Bill De Blasio is uh, an awkward, tall ass, gangly guy. He, I saw him in person once, not like you. You've seen I, him. In I saw him. So I, Bill and I go to the same gym. He oh, takes yeah. the, he takes the, the um yeah, yeah he takes a motorcade. He takes a motorcade. Yeah, he moved away from uh, Park Slope so he can move up to Gracie Mansion. They had to retrofit it so he can move in. Then he takes a, a he, at, at eight a.m. when he's ready to start his day, he takes a motorcade down to the Park Slope, and then sometimes he goes to an exercise class in like Queens. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand why he does. Well, I don't understand why he didn't move moved into Gracie Mansion either. Because it's like, dude, you had he had like a townhouse on in Park Slope, and yeah. and it's like, dude, and you're also two blocks from your stupid gym. And now, and now, so now when I go into the gym on Saturdays, it's always the same. It's like Saturdays at ten o'clock. The first time I realized, I'm like, why the hell are there like like flak jacket helmeted counterterrorism police outside the YMCA in Park Slope uh-huh. and then I go in and I go sit down I'm like kind of like hung over kind of recovering and I go sit down on one of the, the stationary bikes and I'm like man this dude next to me is like a tall ass dude and then I was like oh it's Bill Blood. <laughs> I was like whoops <laughs> I was like that's the mayor <laughs> um, and so I like awkwardly I kind of like I kind of snapped a picture of him like on the side here and I was like yeah. I was like sorry Bill yeah. Uh, do you guys want to talk about the uh, libertarian candidate who tried to uh, take a plane to Antarctica? Yeah. Wait, hold on. I don't All know. Right, or wait. wait, expound, because I haven't heard about this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, there's nothing else to talk about. He's not going to get elected. <laughs> oh, cool. and he's right. not going to get elected, and he's nuts. But Well, he's ex, he's ex-nuts. Um, he, the libertarian candidate, uh, I forget his name, but he tried to... He, he has an unfortunate incident in his history where... Or cool-ass incident in history where... He was in Las Vegas, and he, he held up a plane at gunpoint and tried to get them to take him to Antarctica so that he could fight uh, this uh, fictitious, um, like, cabal, it was called, that he made up. Uh, and then they eventually just, like, talked him down from it. But then he changed where he wanted to go. Then he said he wanted to go to Argentina instead. Did he just see <laughs> Did he see the thing and think it was a real, like, John Carpenter's the thing? Yeah, and think that, it was like, that story would have been cooler if they had actually, like, taken him to Antarctica. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they yeah. would have run so out of gas over, like, up. police. <laughs> um, wait, so he's a libertarian candidate for he's what? He's running for mayor in New York there. City. Oh, yeah. cool. my God. So now he's just running against a different uh, shadowy, invisible cabal of otherworldly creatures. Yeah, the real one this time, though. Is yeah. there any? Are there any candidates that are running uh, that you're like firmly stand behind that you feel really good about? Oh no, I mean I, I'm going to cast a weak vote for De Blasio. Yeah, same. Uh, I mean, I'm so voting for De Blasio. And, yeah, and yeah. he like controls it enough that there's not like. If someone like ran to the left of him, they would have to like already be a city council person, or they would have to be like a famous person. Well, that's what I think. Uh, my prediction for I think the next next time around, I think Stringer is gonna finally run, and he's like mm. he would be like a neoliberal kind of dream because he's just like he's just a total he's a, the co- current comptroller and is just a total uh, civics, but also like money nerd kind of guy. Yeah. So he's like he's kind of the. I would my, my my smart money is on him running next time around and probably winning. Uh, yeah, or I guess I mean uh, Letitia James, the public advocate. Letitia James, I, I yeah. can see her. She's I mean she's the she is, has like the most anti-developer view of any like sitting politician, which is there are some bad developers. Nobody else will even say anything more dramatic than yeah, that. Yeah, like as you know the the thing they would think most people think, which is that there are exclusively bad developers. And yeah, that, and that somebody who's trying to who is who is paying to have glass and steel put down in Brooklyn is not someone who gives a shit about the people who live around there. Yeah. And that's that like will weirdly take a while for people's voters' roles to catch up with that. But, you know, hopefully 10 or 20 years it'll get... Because, I mean, other cities like Vancouver and London are like... 
a little further along than well vancouver is imposed a tax like you have to live in the city like if if you don't live in the city there's like a progressive tax where it's Uh like if you don't live in the city you get taxed uh like if you you, they can find a way to prove i don't know how they prove that though yeah uh, but like oh london has similar policies or yeah they i mean they they have a uh well because they have a they have like such a strong left, but they have like just you know they're, they they like invented the establishments essentially at least as far as English speakers go. So it's like a lot of their uh, council housing, which is their work for public housing, has like already they they are selling it regularly to luxury developers who are you know developing things that don't even have and it, it's just like a, a debt measure. It's not like we're selling this public housing and and with the money that we make on it, we're going to build some more gorgeous stuff it's just like to bring the debt down yeah uh, and so they do have some measures where like and 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 a lot of times it is like the blasio style stuff where it is it makes kind of a uh a big ripple and pr wise and then like the actual reality of it is just like it's done as cheap as possible to keep uh wealthy people as wealthy as possible and you can't really you know that's why I don't understand too. Why do why do people why would rich or people move into the? I've been in these buildings in Williamsburg that are like the glass like buildings. They're on the outside, they just are faceless and characterless. Inside, they're like filled with shoddy stuff. Like like yeah. the locks and latches on things are like broken, and like the, it's all just like drywalled. I'm like, Actually, this is, that's a funny point. If you the, the maybe the upshot of this is that not that much of this housing stock is going to exist in like 25 years. Yeah, because they're probably going to have to replace a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it yeah. is put together with spit and glue. Yeah, so it's like I I really just don't understand why people are just paying like just forking over money. Cash, man. Fist. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah and like they're just like realizing that they've wanted to live in New York all their lives. Yeah, now's the time to do it. Yeah, we're an urbanizing we're an urbanizing society. I mean, I remember we're talking to someone who was a rich person from Paris, who grew up in Paris, and um, she was saying, like, expressing astonishment that in this country it's the opposite of what it is. In Europe, if you're rich, you live in the city center, and if you're poor, you live in like what you know the Yonkers, as you know, the, right. these kind of collar areas. And that's basically what's happening here. I think that part of it, I mean, at least for me, I th- you know, I don't know if you get, did you grow up in, in an urban, like in a city proper or in a suburb? I know. I grew up in uh, the suburbs of both Chicago and Minnesota. Okay. What, where, where in Chicago? Uh, Glenview. Oh, yeah. Western Springs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm from Oak Park. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So that's at least touching Chicago. Glenview, Glenview touches part of Chicago. Doesn't right, it? I think Glenview's like. Evanston is between Glenview and Chicago. Yeah, Glenview's a yeah, really. That's like you would have gone to New Trier or something probably if you had. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Glenbrook South. Oh New yeah, New Trier's yeah. where Ferris Bueller went. Hey, audience. <laughs> <laughs> Fact. Um, fuck New Trier. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I think that for people like us, that you know, we always kind of idolized. Uh, I mean, I remember like driving in, like when I would drive to high school, like I would drive into Chicago Avenue and like just see the because we were on the, it's like straight west side, so I could just see the loop. And it was like the idea of living in the city downtown was so cool. And I don't really know that there's a more profound reason. I mean, there's the idea of talent pools and stuff like that for these modern service economy jobs that we have. But I don't really know of a more compelling reason than sort of just the romance that I internally feel about the city that has driven me to live in, in a city. And I, and, and our entire generation is doing the same thing. And so given yeah. that that's the case, um, so I guess let me, let me turn this into a question then. Given that there's this, this kind of pernicious issue of developers, um, I am part of the problem. Uh, I want to acknowledge that in a conscious way. I also think that I it makes sense to me that there is a developer class that's serving this because I have more capital power, not that much, uh, but certainly more cultural uh, power. But because um, you have a podcast, <laughs> yeah, because I have a podcast <laughs> and fourteen people. Lenny speaks listen. and America <laughs> listens. <laughs> And, and like, if I want to, if I want to move in, you know, like I'm going to, I'll, it makes sense based on market forces that someone's going to be there to take my money and let me move into Crown Heights, which is what I've done. So like there's sort of a natural element to it. And then again, I, I've seen there's a very top down element to it. So what do you think the way to like balance these impulses out is? If you want to say there's just areas I can't move into, it's like, well, that makes sense. I mean, there's, that certainly would be correcting for a previous time in our history when there were areas that the, black the, people could just move just like you got to move out yeah. especially in yeah. chicago yeah. yeah exactly and and i mean i i think that there the ideally you know if this this movement happening of young people moving uh from the suburbs and into the cities it should be a two-way street and there should be some sort of program i don't think there's any non-governmental way to do it that 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 puts people who are being displaced into 
uh, living situations that are materially as good or better. Because the suburbs being as shitty as they are is, like, kind of a crisis of physical space. You yeah. know, like, it is, you know, it, it, it's urgent. It's an emergency how shitty the suburbs are. And that if they were as rewarding as just, like, life in the city is, like, there's definitely, like, you know, tiny villages, or not even villages, but just, like, towns, not only in this country, but in a bunch of different countries that are the same size as the suburbs, but they're laid out in ways where you can walk to where you're going, well, yeah. and, like, you have unplanned interactions. Because that's the other thing that's, like, cool about the city that capitalism crushes and that you don't really get much of in the suburbs, which is just, like, walking down the street, you have unplanned interactions. Yeah. You know, like, like there's the... There's stuff going on, and it feels like you don't need to like get it kickstarted to see things that are happening. But there's none of that in the suburbs. So if somebody has to move out because they are like violently evicted by their landlord, which is happening in a bunch of places as we speak right now, that it should be not that difficult for them to go to a place that's safe and cool. Yeah, uh, Charlie. So I guess we're running uh, low, low on time, but I, I would actually like to get. So you you kind of alluded to this before, and I've heard you expound on it. And I think it's a the the idea of reclaiming the financial district in a in a in a vision of New York in the future uh, that you have, where it's kind of like a New York that's retaken by maybe working class mm-hmm. people, and they they live in down, downtown. Like, what what is that? How do we get there? What what does that look like to you? In oh, the, in well, this, like, the the, the destination is a is a silver helmeted American Legion band playing the sidewalks of New York. Oh, yes. Alfred Emanuel Smith's 1928 election anthem. He was uh, too Catholic by to the become way, president. This is that is the closing song now. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, do it. Or use the Nat King Cole version. Yeah. Um, or the uh, the Duke Ellington version is good, too. Um, but the, the, that has to be a, a popular mandate of a bunch of people getting together, guilty gentrifiers and people who need... Because the cool thing, uh, so much of socialism is just common sense, and that it's a scary word. I get it because of uh, Nazis and because of Russia and because of like American anarchists throwing bombs. But all this stuff that like used to be called like Christian charity or common sense now has to fall under the, the socialism banner. And like all of these, uh, you know, conspiracy theorists people are like terrified of like Antifa when it's just a bunch of like vegan punks that are like wearing masks. Who are just... all getting paychecks from George Soros? Exactly, obviously. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but. That, that, like, people, like, the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, is just a bunch of people who get together at, in mostly in, like, rented churches, and they, it, they, they feel like a community, and they talk about ways to make their community measurably better, and there needs to be something that replaces that now that Wikipedia has kind of killed God, and that that <laughs> is also a spiritual crisis. We don't really talk about politics in moral terms, because it has to be, like, talking about it in possible terms, so you get these, like sort of radical centrists like the, the people we run for president and like the, the DNC should just be completely disbanded. But the people they're running are always like like troops or that they have like some sort of right-wing cachet and they, they're so afraid of just like the old left rising up and saying rich people want to kill you. Uh, why would you stand up for that? So getting there from here, A, means a significant uh, socialist counterculture and continued demonization of rich people and I think <laughs> Donald Trump as a like straight up professional wrestling villain villain is good for like the younger generation like they turn on the TV and they know who the bad guy is yeah and 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 that just people need to know and people need to swallow uh, that the world after Trump can't look a goddamn thing like the world before Trump yeah and and as much as you can have uh, genuine love in your heart for uh, Barack Obama and his beautiful family while also knowing that they were sort of like the wooden sculpture at the head of the ship and that the ship was being crewed by uh, villainous, yeah. horrible, rapist white men. Yeah. And that and, and just sort of taking the profit motive out of everyday life and letting everybody know that they can just have more free time and that it's, it's, it's not like about becoming like this, like building this worker's paradise, but just like building a uh, a world where everybody has a five-day weekend. Yeah, like, like a, a livable human society. Yeah, and we have the resources for it. Like the resources that most societies yeah. uh, put into their caring for them, themselves, we put into our military. And I do think we Charlie, can get... we need F-22s. I don't we know need if you know that. We needed those billion-dollar planes. <laughs> but if we, if we have troops <laughs> passing out hot meals and shit, like that will... We can roll up the respect for the troops. So I think it has to be like a red, white, and blue vision of like something to work towards because that's another one of the crises right now is that nobody really has a vision for the future that looks at anything other than like, you know, batting down the hatches. Well, that's why I think they, I, I think that 
the DSA is having a moment, and also I think that like left wing socialism is having a moment right now, just because I think had Hillary Clinton been elected, or had one of the other Republican candidates, you know, had it been a you know a Ted Cruz or a Mitt Romney or whatever, I mean Ted Cruz would have been horrible in a lot of different ways, but like, but. Because looking at Trump, yeah, there is no, like you said, he is this uh, heel, uh, like in uh, American politics, like this uh, villain that, like, uh, I have some coworkers who are former people that were, like, working on the Hill and stuff like that, and they're definitely part of the neoliberal class, and they're like, I can't wait until Trump's out. So it can go back to the way it used to be. I'm like, it's not going back. I'm like, it's I got never some, going back. I got some bad news for you. The veil has been completely yeah, like. We're gonna have shithead celebrities running in every race for the rest of our yeah. lives. Yeah, so, like, yeah, and that's actually a rational choice now. I mean, Oprah. Yeah, like, Oprah or The Rock. Like we're all no, Oprah or The Rock could have beat Donald Trump. I know, yeah. and we're like all looking at it and. All the, well, I mean, Mike Dicka could have beat Obama if he ran in the Senate in 2004, <laughs> and then, which is true. And then, do, do we talk about when, we, I don't think we talked about this, how Joe Namath called out Mike Dicka for, like, when Mike Dicka said the thing, there's, there hasn't there's been no a, racism, there's no ra- repression years, in the last hundred years, and Joe Namath, like, jo, like Joe Namath is pretty pretty badass, like, uh, he, yeah. like he, for being, like, uh, an old drunk, he's now, now sober, which is actually maybe a little Very bit nice. disappointing, uh, but, like, he's still wearing the furs, though. Yeah, he still wears the furs, and he still also he was a huge part of the like, the late '60s Jets. Like there was big racial tensions on that team, and he was like one of the guys who was like able to he, like yeah. reach across the aisle. And he Vince was, Lombardi too had like a gay brother, and like would fire people for saying uh, anti-gay slurs in like the late '60s. Yeah. and That's also that form of education he got. <laughs> he also uh, was a main proponent of integration because, as an, a swarthy Italian like myself, he had to play on the colored team. Yeah, uh, and also apparently Liberace lost his virginity to a guy on the Packers. Oh, oh hell yeah, that rocks. <laughs> I uh, I'd like to say something just because I I think I had this kind of insight recently talking to Nate. The because whenever I hear people talking about any of these sort of um, rosy-eyed views of the future, I get very cynical. It seems like, and the, part of the reason is because I'm like, okay, there are certain natural mechanisms, and this is sort of what I was alluding to with like, I have money, it makes sense that someone's going to want to take it, and how do you reconcile that with what needs to happen, and especially when you like look at this sort of unsuturing of society, right? Like we have the social contract has been torn up, mm-hmm. it has been it's been violated. Uh, there, th- that great line in in Underworld. With like capital burns the nuance off of society, right? Yeah. Like there's just it, it once you once you increase the stakes of money uh, and you set the rules such that uh, your job is just to maximize to the extent that it's legal, you really do that tear, tears away at society. It, we currently live in a society that prioritizes uh, capitalism and we we work to support this system. And it's not that there's anything necessarily avoidable about that, but rather that that system needs to it it needs to be focused on people first, and that is the ultimate out that that output needs to be the goal that all the other things serve. Capitalism is going to happen in any capacity. I don't believe that it's possible to like tear it down, but it can be proctored in a way such that it is done in balance with the rest of the human spiritual community needs of other people. And I think that. Uh, what Ryan was saying last time after the episode with Ryan Snow, he, he said a really good thing about kind of interpreting Bernie, which was that we got the social revolution. We won that. We never got the economic part. And now it's time to do that. Yeah. And just the project is closing the enormous gulf between America, the beautiful idea and America, the complex reality, because nobody would agree that the that, that, that the country's doing well right now. Or, I mean, the, I mean, it's doing well relatively, but like that we don't have pro. And the people who like say that we don't have problems are just like the human brain's only so big. You can only like imagine so much. <laughs> uh, but that that uh, sort of becoming this place that we've always pretended to be as such a noble, cool thing that people are generally on the same page about, and that uh, as sort of like the the the, the white man st- becomes part of the rainbow rather than the dominant voice uh people will get super <laughs> resentful about it yeah. uh but and and you know there's gonna be like white sitcoms by the time we die and right, you're gonna have right. to find yeah. that channel uh, yeah, the because there's channel. gonna be 10 w- channels wet no w- chase, yeah. <laughs> yeah and like the yeah. emmys are gonna be going to noches con platanito yeah. uh, who yeah. just got his first uh Times square ad god bless you platanito yeah. um and uh and and so people are gonna be super pissed off about that and they're gonna like start to get super reactionary but that just it is a choice whether to be pissed off or not pissed off and just that it'll open up so much art and shit like i saw yeah. a great thing a girl today that like uh someone was like you know, a lot of times people like lament, like, "Oh, the you know sexual harassment has probably 
silenced so many voices that would have been uh, otherwise great. And someone yeah. I saw on Twitter said, "Buddy, wait till you hear about poverty." Yeah, you know, like like yeah. so many of the people who I've like worked with at jobs are like these like amazing fucking storytellers who are, like in their sixties. And yeah, like, if yeah. they had grown up rich and had like right. five years when they could have like just spent all day failing, they could have been better comedians than most of the comedians I know. But right. they just like rich people get a million opportunities to fail, and poor people get none. Did you ever hear Einstein? Someone asked Einstein how to wax about how incredible it was that how uh, how genius Newton was, and he said, "What's amazing about Newton is not that we had one, but how many died in toiling fields." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I think, and money to your point about, I think what part of the also prescription for managing our uh, the, and closing that gulf, as Charlie said, between America, the, the beautiful and free and brave, and with a real kind of crazy place we live is like highlighting parts of American history that were very progressive or very forward looking. And even what, you know, the Fox news channel and all these other people have like kind of rewritten and what literally whitewashed history in a lot of ways and yeah. taken away a lot of things like, I mean, even just about stuff that was written by white men, like the four, FDR's four economic freedoms, uh, you know, like a right to healthcare. And like, it, had he not died when he did like, the reality of current America, he had the political cult of personality and political clout to pull something like that off. Harry Truman, the high school graduate and broke-ass dude. <laughs> he was eating not. a ham sandwich and a warm glass of milk when he got the news that he was going to be the new president. And then like, hey, did not know the, about the atomic bomb. Yeah, so you're going to be the new president. Also, we've been working on a side <laughs> project. Um, it is going to shape the, the second half of the 20th yeah, century. And, and, and in that sense, I really do think that FDR was the last really effective democratic president because after that, there was like the sort of specter of the Cold War, right? And then by the time the Cold War was over, we had Bill Clinton, who was just Reagan and uh, fucking donkey drag. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know Obama had his own problems and his own like you know uh, uh, morasses to get out of. But the, the now that we're in this digital world, is becoming so clear that like the 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 rule like the framers and the founders. I think about that this at my uh, George Washington Museum all the time of just like I'm the first person who's sitting at the front desk here uh, in this sort of like post-sincerity age yeah. where I now know that the presidency means nothing. And even the Republicans who walk through know that the presidency means nothing. Yeah. And that maybe, just maybe, all the other rules about Congress and Senate and stuff are equally as volatile and that it's not all just going to stay together and that it requires, like, we've been consumers since we were born and we have right. to make this switch to being citizens and I we just need to get, like, 15% of people to do it and it's going to be amazing. But don't you think that that... that Volatility, that idea that these laws are man-made, they're viable. They don't even the people who fucking wrote them didn't really even love them that much, you know. No, that's yeah. all of that built in is part of what is supposed to be that. I mean, the intention of this country is supposed to to build that in, and so I I don't know. I think that one of the positive aspects of Trump is that I was like, man, I forgot that there was still in built in so much. Um, yeah. It's an open-ended question. And I res that's part of the reason why I resent people who treat who, who conflate you know like Thomas Jefferson with Moses you know and who do have to kill their idols. It's like no, I'm glad that I don't have any idols. I'm glad that I'm cynical about the nature of, of the founding of the country, um, while also like appreciating certain aspects of it. And the whole point is that they knew they were gonna die. They were just guys, and they and now they're gone. And we have to you know find a way and, forward and maybe tear it up one day if it doesn't work. You and know? that's what gets in my craw too. And when people like uh, again on Fox News or other conservative, when they're just people are just like, well, the founding fathers. I'm like, you know, all those people hyper disagreed with each other, right? Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. a street fight. Yeah, and, and and like the and you know you look at stats from like last week. It's like 68 percent of people. That's around where the number is for both like people who support uh, single payer and people who support marijuana legalization. Why don't we have a fucking Brexit vote where that just becomes the law? What is insane yeah. about that? People, just a referendum. Like, on, then, yeah, in like yeah. Catalonia, you can just form a new government. That's not going to work out. We could form a new government right here. Uh, maybe, but I don't think the Catalonia thing is going to work oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, just, and that's also another that's another bourgeois run uh, kind of – that's the, the Catalonia class of Catalan. I think that is like hijacked. Uh, I don't yeah. know enough about oh, yeah, it. Oh, yeah, of but, course. But, but that, I mean just like – if, if tomorrow everybody woke up and acted differently, the country would be different. That's true, yeah. And so, like, when, when we're talking about, like, the distance between here and a place where people, like, don't let their neighbors starve, we're just talking about a world where people wake up and act differently. And if they, if, if, if they were so uh, incentivized... And just the, the real mission is creating this web of incentives where you wake up and you're, you know, it's not like, it's not about reading uh, 
like left wing theory or going to meetings or anything, but just like feeling good and the joy you get when you like rather than just like giving a guy five bucks, like you take him into a subway sandwich shop and you talk to him for ten minutes. Yeah. You don't have to be holier than thou about that shit, but it genuinely feels good. Yeah. And the stuff that people are talking about when they're talking about like the infinite or like spirituality or like loving God that 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 you can still feel those emotions and you don't have to be dogmatic to do it and that your the path between you know, you and like the changed society is really just about uh, putting yourself through struggle and feeling yourself having changed. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's as it's as innate. The joy that we feel in doing that is as innate as the instinct to maximize your own lot. You know. Well, and be like an intentional citizen. Uh, I think I think what you're talking about, intentional citizen, intentional participant, and not just a consumer, and just be like, hey, look, like I'm not. Uh, like none of us, we all just, it's cause it is, it's kind of human instinct to also be like, and I'm guilty. I'm sure all of us are guilty. This is, it's that much easier to just go home and watch HGTV or like, yeah. you know, and just be like, uh, like I just, like I've just been berated to the point of like exhaustion where like I have to work at least, you know, if you're lucky, if you have to work 40 hours a week to, to survive in New York city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're privileged in that sense, but like you, you, like it leaves a lot less time to be part of a community or in part of a, you know, like a part of a citizenry and, and determine like what, what you want that to look like. You know what I mean? As uh-huh. opposed to just bought, just, all right, well, how can I just get more money to buy the lifestyle I want? You yeah. Know? And, yeah. And then, and just like the, the, the horse race of like Democrats versus Republicans has just eliminated nuance in so many ways yeah. that just like it, it, those systems are like extra governmental and extra legal, but we still depend on them yeah. for, for why there's no reason. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, Charlie, thank you so much. Charlie, Charlie Walden oh, for being yeah. on infinity license. Of course. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, I hope um, so. Do you have anything you want to, uh, uh, anything you want to plug? <laughs> anything I want to plug? Um, I'm, I'm doing uh, Nico and Larry's show at uh, Legion Bar next month. Legion Bar. It's, uh, oh, it's on a Monday. Um, yeah, not, not nothing in particular. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you guys online. All right. I'll subscribe on iTunes, to Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud. I'll, yeah, I'll uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, we don't. We just share the episodes on Twitter, so you can oh, just yeah. yeah. We're on Twitter. Yeah, that, that's where you'll find us. Our yeah. SoundCloud links are on Twitter. Yeah, our SoundCloud <laughs> links are on Twitter, very much. Uh, and our Twitter is embedded in our Amazons. Yeah, I, I, I've been Brian Pisano. Peace, peace. On the sidewalks of New York.